This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Number one regret that people have in life is that they didn't live the life authentic to themselves, that they didn't follow their passion, their purpose, and did that thing that their heart really desired. It's number one regret in life for most people. It's not the things that they do, right, or did, the things that they didn't do. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Rasa DeSalvo, a business and high-performance coach, transformational speaker, and athlete. Rasa has coached founders, pro athletes, Hollywood celebrities, corporate executives, and CEOs. Her passion for human potential and high performance has been uniquely shaped by a career as an athlete. And in her coaching, she unites the concept of training our mind, body, and spirit. But prior to starting her own coaching business, Rasa spent 15 years as a strategy and transaction consultant where she led multinational transactions, all at the same time competing on a pro beach volleyball tour on the weekends. Rasa, welcome. Oh, Marina, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. And just want to celebrate and congratulate all the beautiful work that you do in educating women and young girls in this you nuanced feel of finance. So what an honor to be here with you and all of the audience today. Well, you have such an interesting story. You grew up in Lithuania when it was still part of the Soviet Union, USSR, and you're now a business and high performance coach. But sports has always been an integral part of your life. In fact, volleyball was your ticket to the United States, right? Tell us a bit about your childhood. Yeah, such a beautiful journey now looking back we gained Lithuania became independent when I was eight years old and I think around that time the media the movies the everything started coming in and become more available in Lithuania and I think since about that age I had this dream this vision to one day come to United States and I thought that the only way or my only ticket to come would be to win the green card lottery. So from probably the age of 12, I started entering my parents into the green card lottery every year, like religiously, hoping that we would get those cards and then one day we'll move to the United States. Fortunately, that never happened because what life had in store was even more miraculous at the age of 17 one day, my volleyball coach walked into the volleyball practice and said, you know, there's this coach at the University of Illinois and they're looking for a good volleyball player. If you are interested, let me know. And I remember the rest of my team just giggled back to the locker room and I just remained seating knowing, oh, this is my ticket to go there. So there is a number of twists and turns and beautiful synchronicities that needed to happen that at the age of 18, I end up landing at O'Hare Airport with one way ticket there, two duffel bags, and a $100 bill in my hands. 
And I remember when I landed that thought, oh my God, if I can get here, I can accomplish anything. And in that moment, I think I remember realizing if you had a burning desire, no dream is too big. So that was my journey, really a short version of it. But I had this vision and a dream since I can remember. So you must have been playing volleyball at a very high standard to be noticed by someone from the University of Illinois at that point. Well, it's so interesting story. The when I found out about this coach, I back then internet was just at the internet cafe. So it wasn't something that was really easily available. So I remember I emailed the coach and said, Hey, I'm Rasa from Lithuania. I'd love to learn more. And he said, Great, send me a video of you playing. And it sounds silly now because we have these powerful video devices in our back pocket. But back then, I didn't even know one person who had a video camera. So in my mind, I was like, oh, shoot, that's going to be really not possible for me. And in about two weeks, I learned about the opportunity that one team from Lithuania is going to represent Lithuania in the Francophonia Games. It's this mini Olympics in Ottawa, Canada. And I was like thinking, well, Canada is closer to the United States. And maybe this coach could fly in and check me out there. So I end up battling. We, at the age of 17, end up winning the qualifications, beat this amazing team, and end up going to represent Lithuania in Canada. So I told this coach, I will be in Canada and would love if he would come and see me. So he did. He came, saw me play saw us losing two games in the international arena, which was, of course, <laughs> you know, expected given that we were like 16, 17-year-old, two girls at the time competing in these amazing pro circle of the top competitors in the world. But nevertheless, he saw in me what I hoped he would see. He saw my competitiveness. He saw my drive. He saw my sportsmanship. He saw the skills that I have. And so he offered me a scholarship on spot. So it was a very miraculous synchronicity, amazing experience that I'm forever grateful. And I really believe that that's meant to unfold because so many things kind of fell into place mm-hmm. for that to happen. So you landed in at the University of Illinois and you studied what? Because it was still quite a while before you finally realized your dream of, of starting your own coaching business. Yeah, so beautiful question. I actually really wanted to study psychology and human potential in college. That was one area that I was really excited about. But I knew that once I graduated, I wanted to stay in the United States and I wanted to be able to have a work visa. And I wasn't sure if I would be able to get a work visa studying and practicing psychology and therapy. But I knew that I could if I was in the field in finance and numbers always came easy to me. So I decided to study finance instead of what my heart really desired. So when I graduated, I did get a job at a consulting firm and started my path there. But from the minute I walked in, I knew that I was not in my right path. And yet the money that I was making was the most money that I've ever made in my life, you know, and it got really comfortable. So I ended up charging my path in the corporate world, not really loving myself in the process, but getting pretty good at it. Yet always in my back, I was hoping that one day when I get 
a certain milestone, whatever that milestone was, always moving upwards, right? That I get to do what I really wanted to do is to coach and work with women around this topic of financial freedom, independence, and really doing what they are excited to do. So yeah, so it's not a street path, but it's always been part of my mission and vision since I remember. Tell us a bit about the people you work with now. What sort of people do you work with? And what are some of the common themes you see working with women? So one of the interesting thoughts or nuance what I learned was really impactful to me is when I realized that number one regret that people have in life is that they didn't live the life authentic to themselves, that they didn't follow their passion, their purpose, and did that thing that their heart really desired. It's number one regret in life for most people. It's not the things that they do, right, or did. It's the things that they didn't do. And number one, and I was wondering, why do people not stepping into what they're meant to be doing, right? Or they would really like to do it. And I learned that number one reason why most people don't pursue their passion, their purpose is the money, is that most people believe that if they do the thing that they really love doing, that they're passionate, that will not be able to support themselves financially. So therefore, this concept around money and our relationship to money become of great interest to me. So that's where I end up doing a great amount of work and deal with my clients because the money is one of the reasons why we make decisions the way we do. And oftentimes there's two parts of the money. There is a typical part in really managing money, understanding money, knowing how you make money with money. Right. And then there's a different side of money that is a less talked part of money is this, what I call it, money mindset, it's our relationship to money. And each of us have it. Each of us have this identifiable yet often unconscious and unexamined relationship with money. And what I find it that the reason why oftentimes people are not applying the tactics, the techniques, the strategies that would be supportive for them to earn more money and build more wealth is not the lack of tactics. It's the other side, right? It's the feminine side. It's the mindset part that is usually what's blocking or not allowing themselves to really take ownership, take control, take interest in actually building that stability, safety, accumulating, earning, accumulating, right? Like sharing our wealth. So I end up doing a lot of the work with women in this money mindset area, which when recognized, when examined, when healed and reprogrammed, then opens doors of opportunities to earn more, accumulate more, share more, make greater impact and really step into their greatest version of themselves. And one of the things you mentioned to me, which I thought was really interesting, was that for women, their relationship with money is closely related to their self-worth. Absolutely. We don't really have relationship to money. Our relationship to money is a mirror or representation of our relationship to self. 
right? So if we have anxiety, stress, it's not caused by money. It's just amplified and is shown through money. It's the actually fear and anxiety that we have within us or about ourselves. Then it's just brought to life through this lens of money. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not just for women. Men have it too. It's oftentimes a little bit different, right? A lot of times for men is if I make more, I feel validated, I feel secure, I feel good about myself. If I'm, if I'm not making a lot or if there's a period that I'm not working or not contributing, then they feel really down, not worthy, not fully contributing members of society. I'm curious to know, growing up in in the Soviet Union, how much did that shape the way you and your family thought about money? Because I recently heard a story about Boris Yeltsin and that he resigned from the Communist Party shortly after visiting a grocery store in Texas. The abundance that he saw there was such a huge contrast to what he knew at home. Oh, I can... I can certainly relate to some degree about that. No, interesting. The way we feel about money does not depend on the amount we have. It really depends, right, whether we feel wealthy and rich. It depends where we live, how we live, and who we spend time with, right? The people that we spend time with do have and have access to, right? So interestingly, Growing up in Lithuania at the age of eight or nine when we were in the Soviet Union, we never had that much, but so did anybody else around us. Other people had just as little, right? Some had a little bit more, a little less, but that range of wealth was very narrow. So while we never had very much money, and I kind of knew that because my parents always argued about money always. That was one of the stressors in my family's life. We always had enough. Clothes-wise, we went on vacation. We had toys. We had things. We went and did things and had experiences. Yet, I remember always thinking that I will have access to money when I wanted to. And so interesting, when I came to the United States, I came with $100, which you know, now when I think about it, I was like, oh my God, how do you survive with $100? And yet at that moment, I felt the most wealthy that I've ever felt. I felt the most wealthy, not only because that's the greatest amount of money that I ever had held in my hands, but because I felt like I had access to more. When I came to United States, yes, when I walked in to the groceries store, it was overwhelming how many options you could have. But also it was overwhelming how much stuff people have. I remember I showed up with the two duffel bags, right? And and just put them in my dorm room. And my coach said, okay, now your other teammate freshman is also arriving, but we need the whole team to come and help her move it in. So I was like, okay. So we go and meet her and she has this massive truck full of stuff, stuff that our entire team had to make multiple trips to get her move in. And to me in that moment, I was like, wow, what a difference, right? 
yet again, we had more, she had more stuff than I did, but internally I felt so grateful, so abundant. And I felt like there was so much access to it. I could go and get a job. So that $100 was not just $100. It was all the opportunity you could see in front of you. Absolutely. My daughter a few weeks ago asked me, I don't know where she came and said, mommy, are you rich? And that question, as you can imagine, with me being coach and having so much work in this space, all the thoughts were started to turn in, in my mind, you know, what is the right answer? What, how I feel and what is the right answer? And my answer to her was, yes, mommy is extremely rich because that's how I feel on the inside. And yet after that, I went and started to do some research because I was intrigued what it means to be rich in the United States, right? And if you start looking, some people said, right, it's the amount of income that you make and you need to make. Some sources said over 200,000, some over 300,000, some said you need to make a million to feel rich. The same with the net worth. Some people said a million dollars is rich. Some people said they need to have over $5 million. And yet the interesting fact that only one third of people that make or that have three to five million and worse consider themselves wealthy. So what that tells me, again, which I already knew intuitively by working with so many people, is that whether we feel wealthy, it depends on our internal state. Right. So whether we feel abundant and prosperous and worthy and joyful and grateful with life, that feeling, you cannot buy that with the amount of money. Right. So it's not the dollar amount, it's our internal sense of feeling wealthy, feeling abundant, and knowing that you will continue to be able to have access to further abundance. Yeah, that's terrific advice. And what advice do you have, Rasa, for people raising girls in today's world? <laughs> I have a daughter myself that is five, right? There's a different lessons that you can share with your daughters or your sons, depending where they are in life. And I'll share a few tools that I use myself. And number one is, I don't know if Many people have the same experience, but when I grew up, one of the questions, one of the answers to my parents when I wanted something really bad, my parents would say, I can't afford it. We can't afford it, right? Which shut down and for the parent, it's easy way to say it because then, okay, end of conversations, we're done, we're not getting this item, right? So I understand why parents say it and often, sometimes it is actually the reason, sometimes it's not, but as a child, what you learn is, okay, that's not an option for me. That is for other people who are better or whatever that is, right? So a better question that I encourage both parents to ask their kids and us as, as adults ask ourselves is not, I can't afford it, but how can I afford it? Right? When we ask that question, we open the resourcefulness, the creativity, and all of the things for our children. The same is for us. If I wanted to have a beach house, I say it to myself, I can't afford it. I'll never be able to afford it, right? Or we can say, how could I afford it? Who would I need to be to afford it? What 
resources and what I need to develop in order to afford it, right? So in the same, recently my son wanted to have an Nintendo Switch, right? And so it was $300. So how could you afford it? Instead of just saying, we can't afford it, it's too expensive, right? That got him thinking and he's like, oh, maybe I can sell lemonade. Oh, maybe I can teach chess classes, right? His mind got going at the end of the day. He was like, well, that's a lot of work. Maybe, maybe I don't need it that bad, right? So you then allow them to use their resourcefulness, creativity, and inspire a desire to learn when we ask that question. So that's my number one advice that I would start implementing for parents raising their daughters or sons in their lives. And the other thing that I stress and that I practice with my family is the gratitude, right? The gratitude for we have, gratitude for where you live, gratitude for the toys. So that's one of the practices that we do all the time so that the kids have a sense of how privileged, fortunate, incredibly abundant their lives are. And yes, they will probably never know, given that <laughs> we're grown up and they're being raised in the affluent beach community in Southern California. But the practice of gratitude is really important because it's uh, highly then connected to the part of giving, right? I regularly ask for my kids to take 10 of their toys and donate it, right? So they practice that we're sharing, right? We're receiving and then we're giving. Just like everything, we practice certain things and the practice of giving is super powerful because what practice of giving tells to our mind and our mindset is that I am inherently abundant and that I will be able to continue to generate more, right? And that's exactly, that's true for kids and us adults. So those would be my three advices. Ask, how can I afford it? Express and practice gratitude and practice giving and sharing whatever you have in the moment. That inherent knowledge that you are inherently abundant, worthy, and are able to create the life that you desire is one and the number one important thing that I think we can teach our kids. Thank you so much, Rasa. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Marina. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com. Bye.